0: I would say, too, it's important that we admit that VCs aren't going to save us. I'm not going to make many friends by saying it, but I'll, I'll say it. And the reason is, look at the numbers, right? I'm an economist. I'm always going to go bring you back to the numbers on this one, Laura. And a half of VCs lose money.
1: From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink. A podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hello again, Downlink listeners. This month, this podcast is focusing on the state of the space industrial base, civil, commercial, and military. And it would seem the state of the military industrial base is weighing heavily on the minds of the administration and those in Congress. This week, I was given a rare opportunity to visit the Council on Foreign Relations for a members event, where Under Secretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment, William LaPlante, was giving his take on the state of the military industrial base. This clip is a little long, but it gives a grand view View of the thinking inside the Department of Defense, which of course includes the U.S. Space Force. Here's Laplante. I would
2: say that we are in this we're in a year, and I'm hoping this is true, of really a big time transition in how we think about manufacturing, design, and production and sustainment in the defense world. And it's it, you know, I think that um there was a really good article in the New York Times about a month ago, where the author went back. I think he interviewed Norm Augustine about the Last Supper. Did you anybody see that article? He showed the showed the chart of the actual notes that Norm Augustine took after the meeting with Les Aspen. So it, this was not an accident. This was this was you know people say how did this happen? It's like well we, no we planned it. This was deliberately done by the government. It, it was uh, it was decided that. We, we were not going to need the industrial base that we had during the Cold War. We were not going to need the shipyards. We were not going to need the arsenals. We were not going to need mm-hmm. fill in the blank. We were going to need to go from this number to this. And as the article said in the, in the session, Les Aspen said, we're not going to do it for you. You guys figure it out. And so, you know, you've all seen the charts that show the providers go from this in the early 90s to this. So that wasn't, that wasn't just it happened, or we looked the other way, or we forgot about it. That was a deliberate strategy. And you think about the alternative, think about, no, we should have kept most of those things going and just funded them. I don't think the country would have accepted that. It wouldn't have made any sense.
1: But if we agree we are where we are, um, are there challenges? Well, what I was gonna
2: say, though, is where we're going. Mm-hmm. Where we, we also went is we went to minimizing inventory. And so, so that's where we are right now. So what's changed now is that we've gotten acceptance, I think broad acceptance politically, on we can't let this happen again, that we didn't let this go too far, and this was, goes back decades, and that we need to uh, need to rebuild and rebuild, and that the other piece of it is really focus on production. We have not focused on production in this country in defense. So those are, that's where we're going. But we're in the, in the middle of a pivot and it's really kind of exciting to see. Um, there's actually a lot of really good news going on. So anyway, that's a short answer, a longer answer to your question, sorry.
1: No, that's great. And actually, I think what you're talking about is this is a decision and we need strategic patience, if anything.
2: Or impatience. I mean, I'm impatient about it too, but um, I, you know, I'm just thinking about this. Every When you focus on one thing in production and in long lead items and break it down, you can really break a lot of barriers. It just takes focus and you have to can't do business as usual.
1: Now, if you remember, in a recent episode out of the Space Symposium, the Space Force Chief of Space Operations also said that the Space Force and the space industry had to change the way they do business or be relegated to the frozen middle. So obviously, the acquisitions, supply chain, production sustainment, You know That philosophy is department-wide. As LaPlante said, we're pivoting to the rebuilding of the industrial base to protect the homeland, project power, and stand by our allies and partners, and all the stuff that goes into that bucket labeled U.S. interests. And most agree that this base needs to be fit for purpose 10, 20, 30 years out. And it shouldn't be any surprise that building or rebuilding the military industrial base requires capital investment from both the public purse and the private sector. But here's the thing. Congress, venture capitalists, those that are traditional or corporate, they can't provide the funding. But what happens when a company can't access that operating capital, not because they don't have a contract, but because the bank where said capital is stored fails? for the prime contractors or primes you know they're the big and established companies with multiple bank accounts with multiple traditional national banks This isn't such an issue. But if you're a small to medium-sized space technology business with a million or so in operating cash socked away in a number of accounts with your bank, which is likely a regional one that focuses on providing regional services to emerging technology businesses and also to the venture capitalists that invest in these technologies, what if your bank fails? you're left holding the bag and it's an empty paper one until the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation steps in. And when it does, it only has to pay out $250,000 per account. Meanwhile, you, the bootstrapping business owner, you've got employees to pay, utilities to pay, and invoices from your suppliers to pay. You've got money but you can't access it because the doors to the bank are locked up tight. A lot of the companies developing the technologies that the Space Force will want to use in the near future banked with Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB. It failed in March. And a lot of the venture capitalists that invested in these companies, and which should have provided a temporary line of credit to see some of these companies through until they regained access to their funds, Well, those VCs also banked with SVB, so the only thing they could offer was another empty paper bag. This is a problem George Poland briefly mentioned in an earlier episode, just after SVB failed. And since then, and just this week, another bank has failed, this time First Republic Bank. And according to the FDIC, since 2009. 513 banks in the United States have failed. So this isn't really even an anomaly. And it got me thinking, if we're going to want a strong space industrial base, we've got to take a look at the financial system that underwrites it. So I brought back George and invited Jess Harrington from McKinsey & Company. Here's our conversation. George, welcome back. And Jess, welcome to the Downlink Podcast.
0: It's great to be back, Laura.
3: Great to be here.
1: You know, I've invited you both to come on the podcast to have a pretty deep discussion on how the Silicon Valley bank failure has revealed some pretty serious problems with how space startups and small to medium-sized space companies access capital, especially when the financial system is under stress. But before we dig in, let's do some introductions. So, Jess, you're new to the podcast, so please take a moment to introduce yourself. You know who you are, what you do, and what you're working on.
3: I'm Jess Harrington. I'm a consultant at McKinsey and & Company, and I lead the defense and federal team for Radar, which is our aerospace and defense analytics platform. Um, at McKinsey, I do a lot of private equity and corporate strategy, and I spend a lot of time looking at defense and space technology uh, and startups and more established players.
1: And George, you're a regular on the podcast, but, you know, we get new listeners all the time. So take a moment and introduce yourself in Milky Way Economy and give us your latest news.
0: Sure. So my name is George Pullen. I am the Chief Space Economist for Milky Way Economy. We are a fifth industrial revolution think tank. We specialize in providing educational services and consultancy. And we also invest a little bit uh, into various space industry and deep tech companies. Um, as far as the big news, uh, very recently, Milky Economy signed a CRADA, which is a cooperative research and development agreement. I know it's a no acronym zone with the AFRL, which is the Air Force Research Lab. And the Air Force Research Lab is, of course, where Spaceworks is housed. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, yeah, it's pretty big news.
1: Yay. So George, Jess, there's some other pretty big news that's come out of Washington, D.C. Three reports one from the Government Accountability Office, or GAO, one from the Federal Reserve, and another from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, lovingly known as the FDIC. Taken together, these reports are hundreds of pages long and really get into the minutiae of regulations, policy, and responsibilities of government. You know, the kind of stuff that makes a rocket scientist's eyes glaze over. So just first off and broadly, George, why are these reports so important?
0: That's a great question. And I think what it all comes down to is for each of these, it is letting people understand what safety and security mechanisms are in place for continued operations of banks And for the continued presence of the banking services that they provide. And we care because a lot of them have space industry clients. Um, Whether they be larger clients or smaller clients, they're all using bank services. And so when banks have fragility or instability or extreme cases of volatility, like we've seen in the past few months, hopefully we're not going to see any more of those, hopefully, um, people get nervous. And of course, here in the space industry, that's uh, particularly a hard hit for us because, as you mentioned, Sometimes finance can make our friends who are rocket scientists' eyes roll back in their head.
1: But will this actually affect policy moving forward, or is this just sort of an exercise?
0: Ooh, that sounds like an opportunity to read tea leaves. Um, I am.
1: (laughs) Well, you're an economist, not not a market analyst. So go. That's right.
0: That's right. So I think if we think about what the fundamental function is of banks, it is to provide a place for depositors to store their funds and provides a mechanism which applies a money multiplier to the rest of the economy. It also is supposed to remove frictions from transactions. And so in as much as any of these policies promote those three objectives, that is good for the overall economy. And that's also good for our space that we all love here.
1: And this is for both you Jess and George, what's your number one takeaway from these reports and how does that relate to the space industry?
3: I'm happy to start here. I think first, uh, the initial reports that we're seeing for SVB indicate that there was a cash management problem um, and that FDIC had noticed the problem a little bit before uh, we saw the run. Uh, So what I will say is that while I don't minimize the stress um, that these startup founders who are already wearing many hats had to deal with um, in trying to access their capital. I will say that um, from what we've seen, it doesn't look like a systematic problem for financing for startups generally, Um, but there is still uh, things that startups should keep in mind as we look forward towards uh, the future.
0: From my point of view, what I saw is, particularly when it came to SVB, Um, SVB had a very close relationship with the startup community. Uh, They had a very close relationship in particular with the California startup community and with Y Combinator firms. Uh, People tend to underestimate just how large of a chunk of the startup space they represent. I'm talking about the space of startups. So because of that strong bias that they had for customers who they loaned to and for customers that they had deposits at the institution, it amplified the effects on all of us. And so in terms of space firms directly, we know from public reports that certain companies like Rocket Lab and Astra, um, Planet Redwire, I'm thinking of Black Sky, I believe, and Space Perspective, they were among companies that were named who either had traditional banking services or potentially investments within the last reporting period with SVP. And that doesn't even start to scratch the surface of many small and medium-sized space companies that also likely were exposed and also likely to go through this turmoil.
1: Now, with the top-line news out of the way, we need to get some context here. These reports were prompted by the SVB bank failure, which happened on March 10th which then spooked depositors leading to the Signature Bank failure. Signature Bank is not germane to this discussion as its customer base was more tied to cryptocurrency businesses and law firms. But what happened at SVB is, and that's because many space companies and venture capitalists deposited their cash there, which is why I'm now turning back to you, George, because in last month's Space and Finance episode, you said that because of how our financial system System works, we put our space sector on a house of cards, which works well enough until one of those cards making up said house comes under stress. Now, George, when SVB failed, you were in the trenches with some of the affected space companies. Could you take a moment and illustrate for us what happened when suddenly one of these young up-and-coming companies suddenly could not access its hard-won or hard-earned capital?
0: Sure, and I'll speak in generalities. I (laughs) I won't name names, but what I will say is it's as fundamental as they weren't going to be able to make payroll, and you're talking about startup payroll where it's less than 10 or 20 guys and gals working hard grinding out the space technology that we need. And it looks like they're not going to have any direct deposits next week. That's a big deal.
1: <laughs> How did they even find out that SVB Bank failed?
0: The news. They were they were hearing it on the news. They weren't getting a call from someone. Um, and again, maybe larger, account holders got those types of calls i don't i don't know but i know that the the smaller firms that i was helping they didn't get a special call they were literally watching on the news that their assets were potentially at risk and locked up
1: and to just keep the lights on the doors open and even to continue to fulfill their contractual obligations many of them work with primes I mean couldn't they just go to the prime contractors like the Boeings and the, you know, Aerojet, Teledyne, Rocketdyne, you know, types and say, hey, you know, we need a bit of an advance just to write this thing out?
0: I, th- I think that's a good future, <laughs> a good future way to do it. I think that those mechanisms, however, were not in place at the time back in March. And so they were left in a position of, we don't have access to our primary source of cash, a.k.a. our bank accounts, just like you and me. That's that's where all my cash comes from. It's my bank account. Um, and when that got tied up, it was really a scramble. It was them reaching out um, to myself, them reaching out to potentially investors or other investors saying, is there a way you can you know, float us a few hundred grand so we can get through the week and get through next, it looks like things will get better. If if that hadn't came through, um, I'm not really sure what, what would have been the next shoe to drop. I think on the prime side too, it's important to remember, and I'm not picking any primes by name, but I think it's important to remember that in some cases, even the bills that go back and forth, a lot of times those aren't paid out for 30, 60, 90 days. So an escalation clause is definitely not typical.
1: And why wouldn't a VC, you know, jump in on this? I mean, it's, you know, the company is hurting for capital. It gives them a good negotiating position for a bigger percentage of the business. Why weren't VCs jumping in and and saying, right, you know, here, have a couple hundred thousand and, you know, it'll it'll see you through the next couple of weeks while the FDIC figures this out.
3: So... One thing I will say here is I do think that maybe some venture was instantly spooked and you can't blame them for that. A lot of venture had their money there. A lot of the startups that they invested in already had bank accounts with SVB um, when venture gave their money. But what I I will say is that um, in this particular situation, it does seem to me that it's being resolved and that I think what we should be talking about too is that what is the long-term impact on venture capital and venture capital's investment in space? Um, And I think what we're beginning to see is, while we might be a little bit more conservative than we have been over the last couple of years, um, part of that is also an indication of a maturing uh, investment market for space, um, less than uh, really the immediate financial situation.
0: Yeah, I would would add to Jess's comment that when it came to why didn't we see more VCs swoop in and deploy capital, I think there's good examples. And I I know a couple where people who already had money on the table said, yes, let's figure out the way to do this as perhaps an advance or a line of credit. We were looking at putting more in anyway. Um, so so that gave them that ability to come in and, and help those startups, but also to the point here. Remember, there was a lot of VCs themselves who had their accounts at Silicon Valley Bank. And so some of them were also scrambling, right? Remember, VCs don't actually have any money, right? They have it at the grace of the LPs, the limited partners who <laughs> who, who give the VCs the money. And so this was really something that caused a tremor on both sides of the balance sheet.
1: And then I've got to ask this one, because You know, when you drive around and you've got, let's say, Sirius XM playing, you hear advertisements all the time for how easy it is to get a small business loan. Why not get a loan? Why not get a bridge loan? I mean, other small businesses do that. Was that hard to do or does it make any sense to do that?
3: I think that... um... Again, in, in this particular situation, there was so much uncertainty immediately after. People weren't sure how long they would have to go without their funds or how much of their funds they would get back. Um, and with the interest rates being what they are, right, it's it's not maybe the most attractive option for a startup. Um, that said, I think in this situation, uh, we just have to think about what are the ways going forward um, that these startups can prepare themselves Um, and in some cases, right, maybe a loan is the right way to go, um, but you have to make sure your balance sheet supports that and you know what that money is going towards. So is it going towards your day-to-day operations or is it going towards product development, Um, particularly on the space side, right? You're looking at um, your, existing market, your existing uh, order sheet, and you're also looking at the speculative markets and how to kind of capture those. Um, So they would have to kind of decide how they want to access which kinds of capital and then decide which one is most appropriate for which type of investment.
0: I would say too, that it comes down to, did they already have those lines of credit in place? Did they already have multiple bank accounts with different institutions and relationships at different institutions because when this happened everyone was talking about is this bear is this lehman it was very scary it was very scary for a few days there and it's it's hard now right i mean it's it's a few months later it's hard now to think like that but it was the sentiment at the time and so if you didn't already have multiple bank relationships or you already have lines of credit in place that would allow you to, to draw down funds and, and do these types of things, you know, typical banking products that you need to have as an institution. If you didn't already have those in place, you weren't going to be able to get those in place within the, you know, 24 to 72 hours of the panic.
1: But I mean, when you go and you buy, you know, a a house from time to time, I mean, I've used a bridge loan for gosh, 300,000 plus well, pounds it was a long time ago when I lived in London, but it, it was at a pretty serious rate because I was only gonna need this loan for about seven days, right? Why, yeah. why couldn't that be done, or, or or was that done, or if that's done, I mean, what's the effect on the the company?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you look at different types of financial products that are available for this type of situation, you come down to in some instances, things like hard money lending and factoring and other financial tools that come with prime plus 10 or plus even 15 or 20. And that's an extremely, extremely expensive bridge. And so that was not folks first option, right? First folks who had the first option were calling up their VCs, were calling up their angels and saying, hey, you see what's going on in the news, guess what? That's us too. What can you do to help us get through the week or the weekend? And it's because the rates are just so amazingly high, to your point, Laura, they're just so high.
1: Okay. Well, this feels pretty bleak. So what's the fallout when it comes to developing the space technologies we're going to rely on for deterrence and to keep the homeland as well as our allies and partners defended? Jess?
3: I think that what we will end up seeing, and and we're already really starting to see this trend uh, pre-SVB, is that the space industry, in particular, space capital, um, we're seeing a little bit more focus on later stage funding rounds um, and more of those proven technologies than the emerging technologies. There are still pockets of investment in those areas. Um, And I think really what's happened over the last couple of years in space is that uh, we've started to kind of shake out some of the ideas that maybe wouldn't have passed uh, a proper technical diligence um, or a, a corporate due diligence um, the same way. And the technologies that are going to be successful and have a real clear business case um, are starting to kind of rise to the top.
0: I would say, too, it's important that we admit that VCs aren't going to save us. I'm not going to make many friends by saying it, but I'll, I'll say it. And the reason is, look at the numbers, right? I'm an economist. I'm always going to go bring you back to the numbers on this one, Laura. And a half of VCs lose money. 35% of VCs either return the money they were given or maybe pull off a 2X. Um, only 10% managed to do doubles and triples. And it's that 5%, that that little sliver at the end that does the 3, 5, and 10 Xs that everyone's always dreaming about. And so that feeds into their investment policy statements and their philosophies, right? The average VC fund is 200 million, but the median is 50 million. You have lots of small funds out there and these small funds, they're mostly run the same way. They make 30 investments or so in years one through three with half of their capital. They hold back the other half for follow-ons or great opportunities in years three through 10. And, you know, in that year, seven through 10, they're doing all their wind downs. That's, that's how they all work. Um, And again, you know, using words like all is dangerous. I'll say 95%, but (laughs) it's important that we understand those basics. Um, You know, they collect checks from limited partners. That's who actually has the money. Those checks are, you know, between one and $3 million. I think that's the typical range. There's a heavy, heavy bias on VCs being California-based, New York-based, and Massachusetts-based. And even the Massachusetts bias is mostly biotech, right? So there are these systems, and we keep on talking about how this is the system that's going to energize the space economy in a way that brings these space technologies we need to bear so that we can demonstrate the current capabilities we need and show space power and have the infrastructure in place that allows our companies and those of our allies to compete. But... When you really go through that math, you realize there's a gap. And Orbital Prime is fantastic. I love it. They've done something like, like 150 awards. And they're doing a lot and they're helping. But there's this proverbial valley of death between the early awards and when VCs actually show up. And that does not have a mechanism today that solves it. And that's the problem. That's what I'd like to talk about.
3: I think there's also, maybe it's important to also acknowledge that VCs and other types of private capital have a different incentive structure um, than a startup. Um, so I think you know people who are trying to create these great innovations in space need to acknowledge that the investment uh, landscape looks a little bit different than it did at the peak in 2021, um, where there was a lot of cash available for any great space idea that you had. Um, I think now as we get kind of into a slightly more conservative, not not off a cliff, but still slightly more conservative investment environment, um, the thing to really be thinking about, right, is do I have a business model that can support me um, so I don't have to rely, as George said, on venture capital to keep me afloat? So is there a commercial market? Are there people who are wanting to purchase what I'm building? Um, and if not, if maybe if my capability is too niche, right, is corporate venture capital an option for me? Maybe a more patient investor might have better incentives, better alignment of incentives um, because they understand what I'm trying to build and how it fits into the greater space ecosystem.
1: So that's a
0: great example there that oh I'm sorry, Laura. But that, you know, that's a great you know. example when Jess was talking about how, you know, if traditional venture isn't your ticket, look at corporate venture because. Lockheed, for example, Sierra Space and and plenty of others have their own venture programs. And it makes sense because let's say, for example, you're developing a new type of reentry technology and that new type of reentry technology works perfect for Dream Chaser. Well, why wouldn't see our space be interested in their venture arm in supporting you because they are a customer, they help you develop a technology that they in turn want to buy and use. And so I think Jess has a great point there that there are other options out there and it's important they keep them uh, in mind.
1: So, so I was just about to say, it, it, this Feels like a financial systemic problem, which, well, is going to require some kind of solution. Is there anything that, you know, the Fed, the FDIC, you know, whoever is in charge, Congress, right? I mean, they write the rules and, and can pass laws on this. What are the solutions so that our young companies have a chance to at least explore if they have a, a brilliant idea and lose money and lose their company on their own terms, as opposed to losing their company because all of a sudden their cash is locked up because bank was badly managed.
3: I, I will say that, um, I, our investment system is maybe a little bit inefficient, um, because you do sometimes invest in technologies that are never going to be successful, you know, a lot of startups fail and sometimes they fail with good ideas and sometimes they fail because they were never going to succeed, no matter how much how much capital they were able to secure. Um, but I'll say that our system works better than a command-directed system. Um, if if you look at you know some places where they do have more of a command-directed investment system, uh, you you can see that that it does filter out the winners. Um, so I think we're not necessarily starving innovation of capital um, with things the way that they are now. Um, I, I won't speak on policy, but what I will say is that I do think that our investment system um, is, is a little bit inefficient, but it it does really help us to get uh, to good innovative techs uh, whenever, uh, whenever the idea closes a business case.
1: Yeah. But there's that whole valley of death and that's when there isn't, stress on this system.
3: That is absolutely true. And um, the Department of Defense and of course, government has been trying to solve that problem for a little bit of time. Um, But I think this is where you maybe think about how else can I generate a profit while I'm waiting for the government to pay me. Um, So do I have a commercial offering for what I'm trying to build? I think we've seen so many really great innovative space concepts in the commercial market. Um, what, What I would say is maybe look at When you're trying to enter this market, do I have an offering that is really niche, in which case I need to source capital that understands it's going to be that space is hard, right? That the technical challenges I'm going to face may take time. And if I'm not willing to do that, maybe I need to be thinking about entering markets where there's a commercial demand for my product, too, that can help me float until I'm able to get kind of that uh, flush of funding Um, from the government or from uh, venture or private equity or corporate capital.
0: There's another couple tools here that I'll point out that we see in other places. So think of the way things like the FHA work, right? So the FHA, uh, we're probably all familiar with them, but they make sure that uh, people have access to mortgage credit and they ensure liquidity and fair and affordable housing, right? So they have a mandate to make sure that happens. There's no one providing a mandate to make s- sure that critical space technology has access to that same level of support. That doesn't exist today. There's there's no such thing. Could there be? I I think there's the incentives now, and we've definitely shown a need uh, how this could work. I think the other mechanism that I would point to is what we saw happen during the digital revolution during dot com. So, Congress. Saw the need, and the intelligence community came to them to tell them how to meet the need. The intelligence community said, We are falling behind in digitization and the explosive growth in information. And how are we going to keep up? And we're going to keep up by Pelesis, which was later renamed InQtel. And they said, Okay, we're going to create this entity which will help you lead and help you transition from awards, and before you can. I'll always get the VC funding or other types of funding sources, and we'll be there as that bridge. And we will serve this purpose to make sure that the technology that we need to complete our mission on the Intel side is accomplished. Space needs that too. And there's already a model in place that Intel used. We could use the same model and do it for space with a focus on space and space technology, space power projection, and making sure that the needs of Everyone from Space Force to NASA are met in a new and innovative way using an existing product that we know works.
1: And, and how would that come into being? Is, is that an act of Congress? Is that a presidential directive? Is that a reg, you know an in-house certain regulation or policy? How, how does that become a, a, a thing?
0: What's interesting is there's been papers on this topic on the success of inqtel and its mechanism and the authorities under which it was established. There's actually two or three that you could <laughs> hit on Bing and find right away. Um, in terms of for space, that's more unique and so the application of it here is something that I've been talking about for a while now. Um, I mention it in my my last book. And I do think there's a need here, but I haven't seen any, um, you know, push from the top to make it happen. And that's that's where it would have to come from.
1: George, Jess, we could make a series on this subject, but we've run out of time. Thank you so much for coming on The Downlink. Thank you for having me.
0: Fun as always, Laura. Thanks.
1: That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing, follow the down link on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian and listen to Cavish Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.